Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, all you gearheads and car fiends, welcome to Driven Radio Show, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brett Hatfield here with my co-host and engineer extraordinaire, Mr. Mark Groves. Yo. We are coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in the currently broiling heart of Kansas. I just look outside the window and I start sweating. It's like my eyeballs start sweating. I'm like, what the hell? Well, it was okay up until we had that vicious hailstorm last night. What the? What was what, what was up with that? I don't know, oh, man. God. I haven't even gone outside to look at the hood of my truck. I'm First there was sunshine and rain, and then suddenly there's hail, and I'm like, my, my tomatoes. Oh, man. Curse you, damned weather. Yeah, well, I luckily Rhonda had picked all the strawberries and lettuce from outside. Yeah, I'm those... out there on the planter box like Lieutenant Dan, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, bring it on, bring it on, <laughs> did, your, did you have your pants tied off? You damn right I did. <laughs> Full Metal <laughs> Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> Our special guest this week is Donald Bond. Donald is a car guy, a luxury watch expert, and appraiser. He's also a bit of a bourbon snob. Look at him with all those bottles. I know. I'm looking in the background. And most people have a library, and he's got a library of booze. Boy, I, I thought beautiful. I was bad. My liver's suing me for separate maintenance. Donald makes me look like I'm not even trying, man. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. His passion for luxury and vintage watches started around 19 years old when he got a job at a high-end jewelry store and became the youngest assistant manager in the chain. Donald works with Sotheby's, Christie's, and Antiquorum. And did I say that correctly? Antiquorum? Yes, you did. Finding the backstory of every watch as the story is part of its value. Donald, welcome to Driven Radio. Hey, I appreciate you two having me here. We've been dying to get you on for a while now. Uh, I would, you just hit on so many things we like. I'm trying to make sure that we don't wind up steering this into the bourbon ditch and just going down a bad road. <laughs> right, exactly. It's, uh, yeah, this is a whole story in itself. And we'll have to have you back to talk about that. Uh, we have another and I don't sh- count. <laughs> uh we've got a whole show and a half that'll revolve around that bourbon we get a lot of questions let's start off with a quote from captain malcolm campbell who wore a rolex oyster while topping 300 miles per hour in his bluebird in the 1930s he said i have now been using my rolex watch for some little while and he wrote the company in 1930 and it is keeping perfect time under somewhat strenuous conditions Rolex published the letter while touting Campbell's motorsports achievements and as part of its ad campaign. Ever since, there seems to have been a connection between motorsports and high-end watches. What do you think drives that connection between cars and watches, or car people and watches? For one, we are looking at art in both forms. Agreed. on your wrist and art that we absolutely enjoy to drive. And I was a, I'm a big Porsche guy, had them for 20 years. And my passion is always vintage, so that's what I basically always owned, was vintage 911s. So I get it. And there are certain watches that correlate to different uh, car manufacturers. So one of the biggest ones that we know is the Rolex Daytona sure. right off the bat gives us the Rolex 24 hour race, Le Mans, and the list goes on. And matter of fact, 
They just released today the new engraved artwork on the back of the Daytona to all the winners of the Le Mans race. Oh, very cool. Very cool. One hundred years. Oh, wow. So it'll be on the back of the Daytonas that are awarded to the winning drivers. A good friend of mine and uh, the guy who does all the photography for uh, Driven Radio and also for the Driven, uh, Ped Watt, is over there now. And he tried to get me to go with him, and I couldn't because my knees are so rotten. Uh, and so I'm just killing myself for having not gotten a knee replacement done a lot sooner. Does one brand of watch seem to have a larger following amongst the uh, amongst car aficionados? Uh, what models seem to garner the most attention? So Rolex number one always comes to mind and Rolex will be in this conversation this evening only because they are the number one most recognized brand in the world across the board. But when it comes to car aficionados and what they wear on their wrist, it will always either be a Rolex Submariner, Daytona, the GMT Master 2, uh, the Day Date President. But then you've got Chapard, who's always has been huge in the racing community. So Chapard's really not seen over here as much, but I've had some come in the shop and I've bought them. But it's a very niche market. Uh, you have uh, Tag Heuer is huge, especially when we look at the Heuer Monaco. The square mm -hmm. chronograph is iconic when it comes to racing. So you've got that. You've got Omega. Omega is in there. Omega is more space-oriented, but there's there's kind of a rival between Rolex and Omega as far as who's the better watch. So, but those are your biggest brands you've got. And then further down the line, you've got uh, Adam Piquet, you've got uh, Patek Philippe. So there's so many brands that hits across the board with us car guys. And not one watch is really wrong to wear. But if you have as many as I do, you can pick the watch you're going to wear for the right car to drive. Yeah. Yeah. You and I had this conversation a few days ago because I yeah, fell in love with that uh, uh, tag Formula One Golf Edition mm -hmm. and uh, bought one of those. I, I, I love the color blue and that's got a lot to it. Plus, it has the golf light blue and orange in it, which is really I'm a cool. golf fan, golf livery fan. It's one of the most iconic next to Martini Racing. And I don't know anything about watches. I just saw it. I thought it was cool. I found one, bought it. And I've had it for about a year, and I just love the stinking thing. Well, but you bring up a great point. That's the number one reason why you should buy the watch that you've always wanted, the watch that you see that strikes a chord with you. That's the first watch you should always buy. Well, you're not. You remember when it comes to people always ask me, well. You know, I don't collect watches. Okay, well, well, what do you have? And they'll name them off. And I go, well, you named more than three. You're a watch collector. <laughs> uh, most of mine aren't very expensive. You're in. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, you're sorry, in, dude. You're yeah. in the game now. Good no, no, no. I'm not denying it. Uh, they're laid out on my dresser. Uh, most of them aren't very expensive. But, yeah, I've got several watches, and I like them. Uh, 
I noticed you didn't uh, mention the brand Casio. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so I tell you what. So I'm glad you I'm, I'm glad you brought them up. I'm sure you did. We we needed the I idiot am, to come I into the crowd. I was thinking about this the other day when Brett and I were talking. The G-Shock is probably the only digital watch you'll want to have in your collection. It's indestructible. You can wear it everywhere. You don't have to worry about it. You can bang it up. Most of my police officers wear a G-Shock. Yeah. And And so you can't go wrong with those. I have one upstairs that has just been hammered beyond belief and refuses to die. Uh, Before... I got into doing this. I was a home builder. And between 2004 and 2008, we built a little over 400 houses, townhomes, and condos. And wow. I, and I wore a G-Shock on my wrist every day. You should see how clogged the the little crevices are with drywall dust. And yeah. that, that watch just got that crap beat out of it, and it still runs. And I can't tell you the last time I put a battery in it. It just well, runs. It refuses to die. Rub them with a toothbrush and keep going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, that watch just has seen the worst of everything. Aside- and you can buy them from like fifty bucks to a hundred and fifty, but you know they're now making them in the four figures. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and, wow. and I can't imagine because what I did to that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> dream of doing to a nice watch. I've had, I've had over the years. I've had two or three clients come in my shop and they had them iced out. <laughs> <laughs> Completely iced. No way. No way. <laughs> and they want to sell them. And I'm like, I don't, wouldn't even know who to sell this to. <laughs> See, and I look at a G-Shock and I think that's what you wear when you're going to go do terrible things and you want something that will come through it. It won't look good, but it'll work fine. The thing is, it's the perfect watch to wear if you go overseas. Yeah. Agreed. So if somebody comes to you and they don't know what they like, but they know that they would like to get their first nice watch, an entry-level premium watch, right? what do you recommend to a first-time buyer? For entry-level? Sure. Uh, what's the price point? Say they were 1500 to two grand. 1500 Yeah, somewhere okay. in there. Okay, so basically what I would say, I do not normally recommend a tag lawyer, and there's a reason why. I'd love to hear it since I own one. (laughs) The only one that I even have in my entire collection is a vintage automatic model from 1998 or 9. And uh, they are... With the tags, you want to get a little bit of a higher-end model. Sure. A $1,500 model will not keep its value. It's a, it's a keeper watch. Yeah. You buy it because you think it's it's great looking. It looks good on your wrist. Wear the hell out of it yeah. and enjoy it. Forget about what anybody else thinks. Not why I bought but, it. <laughs> right. That's right. But one of the biggest things about them are is they're also one of the most expensive to repair. Okay. Why? Because you would not hardly ever find a watchmaker who can get parts from them because it has to go back to them. And there are times that the the repairs can exceed the price of the watch. You mean I can't send it to that watch repair guy on YouTube? 
<laughs> or the one down the street. Let me know how that goes. <laughs> he works on old Rolex stuff, and I think it's yeah, fascinating. Yeah. But here's the other thing, too. So let's say no more than 1500 Um Bulova, believe it or not, makes a just a rock-solid watch. Okay. Huh. I, literally, I literally own 20 of them. Okay. Now, my biggest watches that I enjoy are divers and chronographs. Those are my best. I, I'm i not into bling, really, and I'm not into really a, so much dress, but I do have vintage dress. I've got Tiffany & Company. I've got IWC. Uh, I've got those types. But they're a rock-solid watch. They make automatics, and they just they just keep going. They, my, my favorite Boulevard I've got is a one-year model made uh, Marine Star diver watch with an automatic, and it was the only one they ever made with a date on it. Oh, cool. And I think I think the watch, it may be now maybe almost 10 years old. Okay. And it looks brand new. I mean, I, I mean, it's not like I wear the same one every day. <laughs> <laughs> but I also prefer to wear vintage, though, too. That's my big thing. So... As you become a more seasoned collector, you know what to look for. Uh, you may be shopping for investment's sake. What do more seasoned collectors tend to chase? Or is that too broad a question? Um, there are different type of collectors. Okay. There are collectors who are looking for the very old vintage watches. We're talking about Gruen, Hamilton, Elgin, and they're picking them up from the 1930s and 1940s because you can buy a 14 karat gold version for under five hundred dollars. Oh, cool! And you can, and you can find them on eBay, but you have to remember that I'm used to wearing my my average size watch that I prefer to wear is 40 millimeter to 45 millimeter. That's a big case, but I also have them up to 50. Okay. But it all depends on how they're styled and designed to look on the wrist. I've got my, the the diver watch, the Marine Star I just told you about is a 48 millimeter. It looks every bit of 48 millimeter. I've got a 46 a step down. It's just that it's taller. Okay. But it's proportioned. But you also have to understand when people are looking for older vintage watches, Men's watches back then were between 30 and 33 millimeter in the case size. Yeah, That's weren't. a women's midsize today. Yeah, they were not big. They were not big at all. But the thing is, is you can you can uh, start a collection and you're like, okay, this is what I'm saying from the 1930s and 1950s. But where you really need to understand is who's going to work on the watch because you're buying watches in this era. They don't make parts for anymore. True. True. So you buy one that's in really nice condition. You don't, if you're a tinkerer, it's more than just changing batteries, you know, out of your flashlight. It's a little bit more entailed than that. Yeah. You know, and they're all mechanical wine. So back then there was not really automatic there in the fifties. There were some automatics. I mean, you had, uh, there was a Glycin, there was Omega. Uh, they had automatics already out there. But then you have the other collectors who are the guys that are rolling in a lot of money today. And they're chasing the new Rolexes as soon as they hit the market. 
But also remember, when you walk into an authorized dealer today, there's no watches to look at. Yeah. There hasn't been in the last six to seven years. Yeah. So it's all order, put your name on a list, but then that's where the secondary market has absolutely exploded. So are, so are there better oh. investment watches to buy? Uh, is there something in particular you chase? Uh, I don't really chase. I just happen to kind of fall into the deal. <laughs> <laughs> so I do have a substantial collection. I've actually sold a few off, which is very rare for me to do. It's kind of like bourbon. I don't sell anything, but I, I, I have sold a couple of bottles. Yeah, but it's tough to drink your watch. <laughs> right, exactly. But my thing is, is majority of the, so I'm a big vintage guy. Okay. I'm not into the thirties and 40 models. I'm into the chronographs, the divers, uh, like, like tonight I'm wearing a 1969 Omega pre-moon Speedmaster. This is before they put the first walk on the moon inscription on the back. And that didn't show up until 73, I believe. Are and you looking so, this up, vintage, Mark? I want to see one of these. <laughs> that I tell you what, even today, you can still buy the Speedmaster today, and it's still 42 millimeter, and it is still a mechanical wind watch. Very cool. And they're absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I've got five of them myself. <laughs> And One now, for each finger. <laughs> you've mentioned how expensive some of these watches are, oftentimes costing as much as a vintage car. Yeah. Should, should people buy a replica or a fake watch and wear it and save the original in a safe or a vault? And if so, why own the more expensive watch? Okay. So this is what I have told my customers over the years. If you have a nice watch, wear it if you're afraid to wear it sell it now i'm just talking about went out and bought an expensive watch and then you know that they make replicas of the same watch sure here's here's what i always tell my customers i've had 12 13 clients who have been assaulted run off a freeway to snatch their Rolex day dates off their wrist on a freeway. Wow. I've seen them assaulted and beat up in Brazil. And you better believe I'd rather be beat up over a ten, twenty thousand dollar watch <laughs> instead of a fifty dollar replica. And then it costs you ten to twenty grand to get healed in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, but you live in Houston. Uh well, okay. Oh, Perry's legal. Screw him. <laughs> that way, I felt like you know I got my money's worth for getting my ass kicked. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It cost me twenty grand, though. Yeah, <laughs> worth it. I got stomped for something insurable. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that is oh, the most I've, unique. I, I've got, oh, I've got stories. I, I had uh, one of my great clients got jumped in broad daylight on the streets of Brazil. Wow! And was left injured. Another client of mine and his buddy were going to thought, you know, we got some time to kill. Let's hop on the tour bus and let's go, you know, look at the ruins and all this kind of crap. Well, the bus driver takes off and all of a sudden he pulls to the side of the road. Uh oh, mm. guys jump on the bus. The bus driver was in on it, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Think? 
and took their watches clean off their wrist and only went after the two guys. I think that's part of the problem. And these were Americans, right, that this happened to? Yes. You yes. Know, we have a certain wonderful conceit because, man, we like to we like to wear our bling and, you know, like be kings off. of men. But I, you know what? I tell my clients, I go, wear the Seiko. Go oh. buy a Seiko or bull of a or G-Shock and wear that overseas. Yeah. Yeah. Stop trying to impress people you don't even know, because now you've made yourself a target. And I yeah. can sit here and, and and list all of them, all the countries. But I was told years ago by uh, military uh, ex military, they said the one watch that they would always buy at the PX was a Rolex Submariner. Yeah, because they, it's they, instant cash anywhere in the world. That's right, because it'll get you a plane ticket home. Yeah. yeah. And I had a young man walk in one day who was out of the military, got into oil and gas, and his buddy said, you go down and you buy a Rolex Submariner because you're getting ready to travel, and if you need to get out, that's your ticket home. Yep. Wow. Anywhere in the world. Anywhere, Anywhere in, the world. in the world. Anywhere in the world. Uh, all, it's just crazy. I have a lot of military buddies who did that. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So – what do you do if you damage your watch? Now, like I said before, uh, I, and I forget the guy's name. There's one guy on YouTube who does repair on vintage watches. He does a lot of Rolexes, and I am so stupidly fascinated with that. I'm not going to try it, but I sure like watching <laughs> him do it. So where do you send your watch if you break it? Where do you, where do you take well, it if so, you damage it? So here's the thing. It's like what happened to it, number one. Okay, say it just uh, popped a mainspring and it's not working. Say you own a Rolex. There's two things you can do. Do you happen to know an authorized Rolex technician in the city you live in? That's number one. That would be the first place I take it to. The second is, is then you would send it off to Rolex Service Center. They have one in New York, Dallas, and now in L.A. off of Wilshire Boulevard. So you would send your watch in and, and you don't have it serviced, but you also have to understand that's like a Porsche Ferrari on your wrist when it goes in for service. Yeah. Because they're, they're going to do like, well, this is what we did. This is what it is. Average price of getting out's a thousand, twelve hundred bucks on average is what my customers have told me. Now I've got my own technicians. I've got my own Rolex technicians. I also have restorers. And I had two customers with brand new 18 karat gold Rolex Submariners. You know, 50K right there. Yeah. Wow. One, one was playing uh, football with his son, and he reared back and he popped a brick wall. He went, ran too close, whacked it, and snapped the bracelet. But I mean, it, I mean, it screwed up the links and everything. I had, I had it restored from one of the top uh, guys in the country that I use, and you couldn't even tell the difference. The second one came in, same kind of watch. It was a 20, 20 or 21 model. And I'm looking at this thing like, what the hell happened? Well, the guy got caught cheating on his wife, and uh -huh. she took a hammer to it. Ooh. And beat the living crap out. I was shocked that she missed the ceramic inlay on the bezel and she missed the crystal. 
unbelievable. But there was a dense detail on that whole case and bracelet was mutilated. I sent it out, had it completely restored professionally using laser welding. Oh, wow. No kidding. And when it came back, you couldn't tell. Did she, did she know that he was going to spend a good chunk of her divorce settlement getting that watch fixed? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Here's the funny thing about it. He sold it for scrap. <gasps> oh my! What? And then, and, and then, and then, when I was talking to, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. I said, "Well, what are you gonna do with it?" Well, I don't know. I said, "You know, I can restore that to brand new." He goes, "No way!" I go, "Yeah." So it'll cost you, but you're still gonna be thirty-five thousand dollar profit to the good. He goes, "Do it." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> he walked off. He walked off with that watch like uh, 18,000 after it was said and done. Wow. Unbelievable. I mean, that's a deal. Yes. <laughs> the thing is, is it, but it's good to know people in this industry. It's like, if you've got an expensive car, especially, we know the Italians and Germans are expensive to, to, to service and all that, but think about our vintage cars like you and I have, Brett. Yeah. And trying to find the right guy to work on those. Yeah, I know. I just spent... people need to think about that when it comes to an expensive watch, because it's really something you need to seek out before you start laying some heavy money down. I uh, I just got my '65 Stingray back after a full paint job, little interior, a little bit of suspension, and a little bit of engine. And yeah, I know. I know, I know, and and the guy that did it, uh, the shop that did it, Hot Rod Express over in Blue Springs, uh, mm -hmm. we've had Rick on the show uh, a couple times, and we've talked about him a lot, and they do magnificent work, but it's not inexpensive, and you're uh, you're paying for that experience and that expertise. Yeah, and they they did a you fantastic are. job. You are, you are, because the thing is, and this is what I tell people, and I'm going to say this on the show. <laughs> If you own a Rolex vintage watch, absolutely do not send it in to service at Rolex. Period. Pourquoi? Why? And and vintage is what would you say? More than twenty years old? Yeah, yeah, twenty five typically, twenty five thirty years. But here's the thing: I've had customers walk in and just absolutely furious that they had sent their GMT master in early seventies model. And it came back with a brand new updated dial Uh huh. without their knowledge until they got it back in their hand. And, it, and I've heard that story more than once because they bring it up to current standards because, because they do not look at things as vintage and they don't like people like me who can people like me who can date a watch. Yeah. I can date them all the way back to the, to the day they started in 1927. Is I there, can date Omegas, everything. Is there a better era or uh, one you would chase in a Rolex? Is new always better or is some of the older uh, vintage stuff better? Oh, vintage, vintage hands down. I mean, right now, for example, the price of a brand new Submariner date is a uh, tick over 10,000. I think it's 10,500. I haven't seen one under. Price. Yeah. So, but you can't get one. Yeah. Okay. So secondary market, it's 23 grand, 25 grand. Unworn. 
box and papers. And just so you know, the five-year warranties are automatically transferable to another owner. Mm -hmm. It's in your hands. It's still warranty. So that's a cool thing about that. But you can buy a late 90s model, 2000, 2001, no-date sub, which to me is cleaner looking. I like them with the no-date, but the date model brings a high big money. And you can get them for under 10 grand. Still, oh, wow. super nice ones, not beat, beat the hell or anything like yeah. that. I'm already looking up on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so it begins. That, that's the worst. That's the worst place to look. The best thing to do is call me. <laughs> yeah. well, that's why I, nice. That's why I you know, sent you the yeah. card. But so but see, here's the thing. Rolex Submariner is the number one watch. The Rolex Submariner is the number one watch in the entire world. Wow. Okay. So I have one. I don't have several. I just have one. I've got a 1966 reference 5513, and it's bone stock. Bone stock, and it's a one owner. Majority of my vintage watches that I own personally are all one owners. Okay. Very cool. And, yeah. So, uh, but my favorite GMT Masters have always been the underdog for a long time. And because of the last few years with the brand new ones that they come out with the Pepsi and they just came out with this, what they call the Sprite model, the green and black, uh, they have made an, their own name for themselves now. And it's one of the most sought after watches in the industry, especially with the Jubilee bracelet. Was there ever a, a Pepsi with other than a black face? Uh, Yes. So later when they went to ceramic, they came out with a blue dial and a meteorite dial, but it was only, it's only offered in 18 karat white gold. Oh, now on the original Pepsi's from 1954, 1955, there were white dials. And for Those the uninitiated, are... explain what you mean when you say Pepsi. Okay. Pepsi. So, Watches have nicknames. I don't care if it's a Patek. I don't care if it's an Atomar Piquet. There are nicknames for certain models. But Rolex has the corner when it comes to people nicknaming the watches. A Pepsi references the rotating bezel, and it's in blue and red. Then later, they came out with a black and red known as the Coke. <laughs> and, and then... And the Hulk. The well, the Hulk is a Submariner, and, and the Hulk, so the Hulk skips Kermit 1. So Kermit was the green bezel black dial 40 millimeter. That came out in 2003. Now, here's the kicker on that watch. That watch is about $18,000, $20,000 today. 2003 is an F serial. If you happen to find a Y serial, that's when it was debuted at Basel World in Switzerland. And those can go as much as thirty-five and forty thousand dollars because it's the pre-Kermit is what it's known for. The Hulk came out in its ceramic days with the green dial and green bezel. There you go. Now we're at the 41 millimeter size today, and, and people have named it the Starbucks. Okay. <laughs> I, I call it Kermit 2.0 because I think Kermit's cooler than calling it. Starbucks. <laughs> Agreed. So what does an auction house look for in a watch? Are they all okay. exclusively vintage watches or 
And yeah. can you explain yeah. prototypes that you found, like from Rolex? Yes. So uh, I've worked with the past uh, few years off and on with the big auction houses out of New York, uh, especially Christie's and Anacorum. I've, uh, I've done very little with Sotheby's, but Christie's and Anacorum is my biggest ones I've dealt with. And I've sold quite a few watches through both of them. Uh, the biggest thing that you look for is authenticity of the watch and be sure that all the parts on the watch are genuine, no aftermarket. Okay. Aftermarket dial can completely throw it out of an auction. Oh, wow. Your lower based auctions don't care. If it's got an aftermarket diamond bezel, they'll sell it. Okay. But if we're talking about iconic pieces, it's going to be through the three big auction houses out in New York. And it, most of the things are vintage. Most of them are between the 10 and 20 year mark. And then some of them are within five years. There are exclusive models, especially like uh, Rolex came out. Rolex and Patek, this is where these two really shine when it comes to auction houses. Because they have built watches that may have only been one of one or one of two or one of ten or one of a hundred. And you don't hardly see them around. And those usually will fall in with the Rolex Daytonas, the Daytonas with special uh, stone dials like Rubilite, uh, Sodalite, which is a blue speckle. The Rubilite is a maroon reddish uh, speckle. You've got Meteorite, of course, which can no longer be mined, by the way. Really? So Rolex, Rolex whatever they've got left in house came from the Giddings area. And that has been roped off. The country said, no more, that's it. And so it makes those dials even more special to me because they're one of the hardest ones to literally shave in one piece and, and, and build that dial because stone dials can crack. Oh. When you, because you're drilling for the diamond markers. So most stones, stone dials had diamond markers. Mm-hmm. But then you've got the day-day dials back from the uh, the 80s uh, on the day-dates. You had Honey Birch, which I sent you one of the photos there. It's on an uh, yeah. is that what that, is? Mat. that watch is uh, unbelievable. I love that piece. And my client still owns that watch today. That'll- you've got Walnut. You've got Mahogany. Then you've got uh, Malachite Greenstone. Then you've got Tigride. Those were huge stone dials back in the day. But now... When they're hitting the auction, they're looked for. Okay. Because they really make that many. And then all of a sudden, it's like they kind of went away. People are like, oh, I don't want that dial. And they pop them out of the watch and they put something else in. So people are looking for the rare dials now. Well, yeah, it's just kind of like taking a 63 Corvette and you're putting square flares on it in the 70s, not thinking that car's worth 200 grand a day. <laughs> Bite but, your fork tongue. <laughs> right, but, right. But you take the square flared 63 Corvette and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, but George Barris owned it. Oh, okay. Uh, well, it's okay. I wrote a really unfriendly uh, review of a 58 Corvette that George Barris had modified and uh, <laughs> said some not real friendly things about it because I looked at it and I'm a Corvette purist, and it was a solid axle. And I just thought, what did you do? 
What have you uh, done? George and I had a great conversation back in 06 at SEMA. We had a good old time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the thing is, is, is when you're talking about watches at auction, uh, backstories are the biggest thing. Mm, yeah. That's what makes the watch even more expensive, especially with documentation. You've got photographs of the person wearing the watch. You may have uh, military medals uh, yeah. that he had. Uh, I've I've bought and sold four Jacques Cousteau watches. And over that brings us to the next question. Did you really find Jacques Cousteau's watch? Or it sounds like you've found several of them. Yes, I did. Um, the myriad of watches. I became, <laughs> so 15 years ago, I met a gentleman that came in the, the shop one day. I found this on the ocean floor. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this, so I'll, I'll try to make this kind of quick. So he comes in, he's abrupt as hell, pissing me off to no end. And I not even <laughs> no lip from nobody whatsoever, but he's kind of like, I'm on the wrong side of the counter to really, you know, want to, you know, fist fight. Yeah. So he leaves the shop. I walk into my office and I'm just like, I am just livid, just ready to throw things. And the owner and the GM comes back there and goes, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. He's like one of our biggest customers and everything. He goes, I don't care if he is or not. I'm ready to punch his lights out the next time I walk in the door. No, no, no. So the, he came back a few days ago and apologized to me. Oh, really? So then he and I, over 15, well, uh, let's say 50. Well, uh, let's say 13 years now, because he, he passed a couple of years ago and it was just, it was horrible, but um, we would always talk and he always wore Rolex. I'd always service his Rolex. He had several of them. One day he walks in, in my shop and he goes, Hey Donald, he goes, I, I want to change the dial in my uh, uh, seed dweller. And I go, well, why would you want to do that? He goes, because it's all faded. I go, oh, well, let me take a look at it. I get it in my hands and I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, you've got only one choice. <laughs> and he goes, what's that? And I go, if you make me change the dial, then you and I are going to be rolling around on this carpet. <laughs> because I'm going to constantly say no i said you're bigger than me stronger than me and you whip my ass i said but i am not gonna change the dial i'll punch <laughs> him in the throat it'll be all right yeah he, and he goes he goes well why i go because this is the red line sea dweller and i said you don't do that i said i don't care if it turned pink you don't do that and he goes you know what the story is behind that watch i go what he goes philippe Cousteau gave me that watch while we were on a dive Oh, wow. You went diving with Philippe Cousteau. So here's the kicker. I have that watch here now. I want to know how he went diving with, with Cousteau. I, how so, does that happen? He also, he also, not only did he know Philippe and Jacques, he also knew Comax. Jeez. Because Jacques Cousteau was also one of the originators behind the Rolex Submariner. Oh. One of the designers oh. with Comax. Oh my! He also had an original Comax Submariner, and he goes, "But that's in my home in Canada." He goes, "This one I wear like all the time." I got a girlfriend in Canada. Oh, the re how I got how I got the other Jacques Rolexes and Omegas were through guys that he knew 
in the deep sea exploration in oil and gas. And he'd sent them all to me. Wow. And so I ended up buying them and then sending them to auction. I, okay. I, and it's just incredible. And the thing is, is so to back up the Philippe story, he and Philippe were on their boat diving in the Mediterranean. And they, they come up from a dive and they're talking or whatever. And Philippe takes his sea dweller off and he hands it to him and he says, here, I want you to have this. Oh, wow. And that's 1973. The watch is a 1967. Remember back then, Rolex was nothing but a tool watch. Yeah. I had one of his, one of the guys that he worked with walked into my shop one day. He goes, hey, he goes, uh, Miss So-and-so sent me over here when, only to talk to you. He goes, I've got this. And I look down, and it's a double red line sea dweller. I mean, a, a double red where you could hardly see the face. This crystal is so scratched up. Mm-hmm. And I go, because I got it, I said, you know, you could lose that watch because the bracelet's like slap worn out. And I said, you're better off putting that on an aftermarket oyster if you're going to continue to wear it. I said, do you want to sell it? And he goes, No. I said, okay. I said, well, let me put it this way. If you don't change that bracelet, you're getting ready to lose a $30,000 watch. And he kind of like, what? Suddenly <laughs> <laughs> you woke up. He goes, he goes, do you know what I, he goes, he goes, do you know what I paid for this? And I oh, go, no. what? He goes, I was in the army. I bought it through the PX for 60 bucks. <gasps> uh-huh. Oh my God. This uh-huh. is, this is this this is seven years ago, and that watch today is fifty sixty k, if not more. Okay, so I've got two questions from that. One, sure. if somebody comes to you with a watch like that, do you replace the crystal and replace the bracelet? Yes, it's okay to replace the crystal as long as it's a genuine tropical domed crystal. Yes, okay. it's okay. And you replace the bracelet if it's just worn out. You can, but bracelet clasp are dated yeah. back then. So they had a single, they'd say 73 or 67 or whatever. And uh, I'm wondering so, what parts are sacrilege to replace and what are not. Uh, here's what I tell people. When you've got subs, DMTs, sea dwellers, watches of that sort, Daytonas, and and there's a, I've got a Daytona story, so that's just crazy. But uh now, the number one thing you don't ever do to these watches, you don't ever take a polisher to them. Okay. You don't make them look new. You don't shine them up. You leave the war wounds on them because you're getting ready to re- 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 erase history. Okay. Okay. I had a I had a young gentleman walk in one day with an Omega Speedmaster like I'm wearing. His dad gave it to him. He was in the Gulf War. The Gulf War, not Afghan. I think he was in the Gulf War. He he says, I was, he goes, I was out and we got bombed. He goes, and I was in one of these buildings or whatever, and it got hit and threw me up against the inside of the brick wall. And it it dented the nine o'clock side of the case. Not bad, but I mean it, mm-hmm. you know, there's a there's a good little indention of it, you know, you can tell it was concrete. And he goes, I like to get it repaired. And I go, well, what happened? And he tells me the story. And I said, I wouldn't replace that. I wouldn't change. I go, that's the story you don't want to erase. 
you keep it. And he's like, thank you. Oh, nice. Because people have to understand that, you know, cars are the same way. Do we restore them or do we make them survivors? Yeah. Well, we know over the last 20 years, survivors are king. Yeah. Okay. Because there's stories there, you know, same with watches. Don't mess them up because the thing is, is a lot of people don't understand is if the stainless steel back then was softer today, it's the hardest stainless steel that Rolex uses. It's not, it's a 904 L it's the hardest hyperallergenic stainless steel, but also I'll, I'll say this too, and I'll just kind of throw this in for, 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 uh, for grins. Rolex makes every single part of their watch, including the mixture of their gold. Really? Wow. In-house. Everything is done in-house. It's the only privately owned watch company in the entire world. So along with that, how do you verify provenance on a vintage watch? How do you go about verifying <laughs> ownership or history? Okay. So for example, let's talk about the Philippe Cousteau watch. Okay. That I have. So, um, which I'm finding a buyer, which I'm looking for a buyer for. Um, the thing is, is you have to listen to stories. And, and so I'm now, I'm talking with his wife because he passed about two years ago. Yeah. And, uh, so, and, and she's, she even knew the stories that I had told y'all because he told her. And she goes, oh, yeah, he would always talk about you. He always loved when coming to town. He always wanted to come see it. Even if he's not buying nothing, didn't need nothing, he just would come and sit in your office and talk. <laughs> and I'd let him come in and talk. And uh, we just have us a good we, we were just like best buds. And she, and she even said, she goes, oh, yeah, she goes, he always said that. She goes, he liked you because you gave him shit. <laughs> and threw it back at him and wouldn't back down. And he'd love people like you. Well, the thing is, is I asked her about the, the watch and she told me the story again, plus the additional. Yes, I was on the ship too. I was there when he gave it to him. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Picked up his and gave it to him. So it's absolutely and I verified. Photos, and they go, no photos. And I said, she, she goes, it's just our word. And I said, well, I believe you because I, and I, so I asked her about the Comax back, you know, back, back uh, in Canada. And she goes, yeah, she goes, I think, uh, you know, when, when uh, health problems and everything, she goes, I think one of his jeweler friends up there caught him out of it oh, because he had a special vaulted room for it. Oh, wow. That was in a big glass case and, and has the big deep diving helmets, the real ones, not some of this polished aftermarket stuff. And she goes, I don't even know what I'm going to do with it all. <laughs> I got he was well known in the industry. <laughs> but I, I was so happy to call him a good friend of mine. You know, but the thing is, is so so I've got an, I've got another uh, friend here in town who wears the same type of watch as I do. But he's like way above me. Mm-hmm. And, but I'll call him. I'll call him from time to time. I say, hey, I've got this. You interested? Because I know he's interested in the stories themselves on the watches. And he's bought uh, Omega Speedmasters with uh, the early ones from the 60s with the sword hands, hand, the sword handset on them. He's got one, I think, from 
Mm. I'm not going to say the word, but let's just say from a German officer. Oh, really? I mean, from armbands and all. He's got it all to go with the watch. Oh, my. No, that kind of stuff absolutely throws down the money time when it comes to history especially if there's news articles he he's got one he's got another one uh, another speedmaster from uh it was a hollywood cameraman had all the photos of him wearing it on set or on on uh, on movie shoots so he has he's got all that with that watch that's so cool yeah, you know, so as, I mean, it, it's just absolutely incredible. But I know what he looks for in watches, so I will keep an eye out on certain things that that cross cross my desk. So it's the story that goes along with the watches. The and stories, that- the stories is money. And the thing is, is a lot of times if the story is so interesting, it doesn't have to be somebody who's well known. It's just got to be a story like, oh, my God, I got to have that. Well, I'll give you a couple of years. You'll want to buy that tag. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact, I sent you a photo of a Rolex GMT Master with the brown dial on an Oyster two-tone bracelet. And mm-hmm. I'm holding it in my hand. It's one of the coolest stories to date. And this happened. You just sent me awesome. so many pictures of so much cool stuff. Yes. Yes, and, I did. So, and, so this watch, this watch, as far as I'm concerned, I'm standing in the realm of celebrity because of the things that I grew up with. He walks in, just a short stature, you know, a little husky older gentleman, and uh, doesn't have much of a voice, and he's British. He's from London. Okay, but he lives. But he lives here. And he came in to sell his Rolex, and it was the one I just described. It's a 69 model GMT Master two-tone in brown with the two-tone bezel, the golden brown. And so we get to talking, super nice guy. And I said, well, why, well, you know, why do you want to sell it? He goes, well, you know, the medical. I said, I understand. And uh, he goes, yeah. He goes, I got that watch for free. I go, Really? I go, well, how'd you do that? He goes, well, I, I, I was a British Airways pilot. Oh, no kidding. Oh, really? I, and I go, well, that's cool. And I'm like, that's awesome. You know? And he goes, yeah, he goes, I was flying 747s all over the world. And they came to me and said, um, would you like to be a Concorde pilot? And I said, I go, are you, are you serious? <laughs> He goes, yes. And he goes, I was the one who flew into New York. Oh, no kidding. Oh, sweet. And he goes, he goes, he goes, I flew number two. Oh, my. Because there were only six. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, I'm the one who flew to Baran. And on the way back to London is when the engine blew up. And I got it all the way back to London. Wow. Wow. Oh, my God. Ah. It's unbelievable. And uh, so we, we, we keep in touch. Yeah. We'll, we'll text once while I say, Hey, how you doing? And all that. And uh, I ended up selling that to a collector that was just like, and once he heard the story, he goes, I got to have that. 
Yeah. Because he's bought several from me already, and he's from, he's in uh, Beverly Hills. And he said, he goes, he goes, dude, he goes, everything you bought from you, I believed every story. He goes, nobody <laughs> can tell a story like that. That is fantastic. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. But the thing is, I've also sold, like you said, you mentioned before, I've mm. sold an early uh, Rolex pre-explorer during really? the Mount Everest days. Really? Yes. And the funny thing was about the watches is I bought that watch 15 years ago. I bought it with a Sea Dweller, a 79 model Sea Dweller 1665 that was completely toast. Toasted. I mean, I mean, waterlogged toasted. Okay. And a stainless steel black doll. 36 millimeter date just it was a 71 model and i i sold the day just held on to the sea dweller and uh, trying to figure out what the heck to do with the watch and uh and then i kept looking at the explorer well i'm a huge researcher so i went in and started researching this watch and i'm like what serial number hmm so i dig deeper and found out that I'm holding one of two prototypes that I've sold at auction on explorers before they were actually explorers. The one I had said explore, not below Rolex, but it was below the handset above the six o'clock mark. Okay. Rolex was not allowed to use the word explorer yet. Oh. They got sued for using it because they hadn't got the patent on it yet. <laughs> And that watch sold for a high four figures 15 years ago. Today, it would probably sell for probably probably about the uh, low to mid uh, five figures. Lordy. That's uh... and, and it was incredible. And, and that watch, I believe, is in the stash that I sent you yesterday. Speaking of really expensive watches, uh, what is the most expensive watch you've ever sold? Most expensive watch? The most expensive watch I have sold differs from what, how much profit I've made on certain ones. <laughs> There's a difference sometimes, but the most expensive one, the one that I think comes right off the top of my head is I sold a 2008 Rolex Datejust Zebra. Oh, Now, this is the wildest watch. I sent this to you. That's the last today. picture you sent me. Yes. So the Zebra is a 36 millimeter Datejust in 18 karat white gold. Okay. It has a Zebra styled dial in black sapphires and white diamonds. The bezel, as you see, is princess cut or square style black sapphire bezel all the way around. But what you didn't see is on the side of that bezel is 120 full cut white diamonds. Wow. <laughs> Not so then you've got the diamond hour markers, but then there's 10 full cut diamonds bezel set in the rubber strap that's inlaid in authentic stingray. <laughs> oh my god. With an 18 karat white gold buckle clasp. <laughs> I bought that from one of my my uh, uh, 
women clients, she was kind of liquidating some of her stuff and the watch had barely been worn. And uh, so I had it in the showcase and I put it online. I get a call out of Miami. And this woman calls up. Hey, this is a trip. She calls me up and she goes, I've been looking for a zebra, but I'm looking for authentic. And I said, well, I know what fakes look like and I know what authentic is. And I said, this is the real deal. You see a lot of ones that have been been uh, replicated. But this particular date just as on the uh, the lugs of the watch as it curled down underneath it, it had flat feet on it and not just straight out, mm-hmm. which was odd for that type of watch. Well, also the end links on these watches were all diamonds, all diamonds. It was fully diamond out. I'd be okay? afraid to wear anything like that. Yeah. yeah. So she's like, and, and so they're very rare. They typically, so Rolex never gives a production number on how many watches of what models they make. It's estimated they probably made no more than a hundred of these. Sure. Because then afterwards they came out with a rose gold version on a freaking bracelet, which is just crazy money. And that watch sold for like 75 grand. And the profit that I made on that thing was stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Because because it's a watch that's so out of the norm. It's a less than a 1% niche market to try to find a buyer for it. Yeah, no kidding. I, I gave significantly yeah. less than 75 grand for my 61 Impala bubble top hot rod. Yeah, right. Okay. So do you ever remember seeing the uh, Leopard Daytona? No. Okay. No. So so back in, uh, in the early 2000s, maybe up to 05, they came out with a Leopard Daytona. The dial is leopard. The strap is is leopard printed. Okay, diamond markers and uh, gold citrine uh, bezel all the way around. It's just crazy. I think the watch retailed back then it was like seventy five, seventy seven grand. I mean, Kobe Bryant bought one for for Vanessa. Of course he did. Uh, back when it came out. But what I, what really struck me on that watch. I'd rock that watch every day. <laughs> I'd, 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 I'd wear that watch every day and everybody look at me like, yeah, yeah, you'd rock that. Well, Steven Tyler has one. Of course he does. Yes. Yeah, of course he does. Course so he when does. I saw Steven, I was like, if Steven can wear it, I can damn well wear that watch. Too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that, that, that was the coolest thing. I mean, that, that to me was just an crazy piece. And, and the guys are like, he's like, he's like, like man, he goes, he, We'll never find a buyer for it. I go, do you always forget who you talk to? I go, I can sell anything. (laughs) (laughs) I can find a buyer for anything. I said, just give me time. You can't rush me. I can find the right buyer. I love it. That's what I've done. That's what I've done. All right, Donald. What's in your garage now? You said you used to be a vintage 911 guy. What do you currently have? So right now I've got a 1972 El Camino SS454, numbers matching with only 69,000 miles. What it's color? Cortez, Cortez it's Cortez Silver. Cortez Silver over black with the black stripes. It was a former show car. 
Uh, it's got uh, staggered 17s, 8s, and 9.5s uh, torque thrusters on it at the moment. It's pushing a little over 450 horsepower. Uh, it's an early, what I was telling Mark earlier, it's an early 72 model. There is actually two 72 versions of mm-hmm. the car. Mine's an early version. Mine's the one where it only the only safety features on it is seatbelts. No buzzers, no other kind of crap. And it uh, there was there was items on the car that they deemed dangerous, so they revamped the car mid year. I see. My yeah. So mine's also a Van Nuys Cali car. Ah, you know the actual only safety feature on that was a condom dispenser. <laughs> yeah, right, That's a right. Hell of a car. Hey, hey. I'm like, yeah. I, my teeth are sweating. Going, damn. I, 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 I would tell girlfriends, I go, you know, if you sit in that car, you can get pregnant. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> There's a reason he doesn't let him drive around black lines. <laughs> right? yeah. So the other one that I so so the El Camino's known around here is the Beast, but uh, I've got a '69 Chevy C10, a uh, short wheelbase fleet side. Uh, it's uh, slammed. It's uh, on air ride. It's uh, 350, 350 uh, set up under the hood. It was a factory. It was a factory rare 307 V8 uh, automatic model. Really? Yep. So we pulled it and dropped in a 72 350 setup. Uh, it still has the wax numbered writing under the hood. Still factory paint. Oh, wow. It's uh, it's called uh, let's see, it's called a paint color five one four light red. It's a combination of the red and orange mix. Yeah, yeah. So some yeah. people, depending on what your eyes see, it's either orange or red. And you know, white roof, uh, orange and black houndstooth interior. Uh, it it's a fun truck. You know, it's uh, like I said, it's it's factory paint. I believe that truck came out of my hometown out of Atlanta, Georgia, at the GM plant there, and then made its way to Oklahoma. Here's where my research comes into. And then makes its way to Oklahoma City to Hootieburg Chevrolet, who is still in business today. Yes, I know Hootieburg Chevrolet. And we and I we believe that this truck may have been one of the owner's get-arounds because the dealer nameplate, instead of putting it on the back, was put one on each side of the cowl. Well, back then oh. you had to drill it, pull the cowl off, drill it, place the emblems, and put it back on the truck. Ooh. And 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 Hubert saw it on on Instagram a few years ago, and they're like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." <You know? laughs> you know? So, but that truck's only got one hundred twenty thousand miles on 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 this on the the original setup. But that truck sat on blocks on a gravel driveway under a carport for the last twenty years when it was found. Oh wow! When did you find it? Well, I didn't find it. My my neighbor, huge big C10 guy, was buying them left and right. Mm-hmm. And I saw the truck when he when he bought it, and he he sent it up to Oklahoma to the uh, Oki Speed Shop to have the truck cut down to a shorty. It's actually it was, it was originally a long bed, but when you cut them right, all the holes match. Yeah, which is cool. And so. He had posted on Instagram that he's bringing two of them back. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I go, uh, is that truck for sale yet? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I've got like three guys in front of me. I go, no, you don't. I go, I'm your damn neighbor. I said, I'm your neighbor. <laughs> I'll see you when you get back. And I bought the truck. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. 
<laughs> so that's my that that that's a great story. All righty. Final question. It's the same okay. one we give everybody. Okay. What's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? Okay, let's see. Besides all the sex I've done in just about all the vehicles. <laughs> now, uh, now, wait. Before, before you before you feel bad or think there's a story you won't tell, there's a reason I never let anybody ask me this question. Because, yeah, right? Because there's so many stories there and so many things. And my dad listens to this show. I'm 53, and I still don't want him to hear some of the crap I did. You're 53, dude. I'm older than you. Yeah, well, and I look like I'm on my way to Santa Claus training camp. <laughs> but, so the dumbest thing I've done, I've done a lot of dumb stuff. Uh, cops used to know my name in college from all the drag racing. Yeah, high school. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was pretty dumb, uh, but never got caught. The dumbest thing that I've done, which is probably the most famous story that, that I've always told, is I owned a 69 9-11 outlaw for 18 years, black on black. Okay. It was a full-blown outlaw selling set three inches off the ground. You could not miss the car. <laughs> I lived in a town of about six to 9,000 people at the time. So everybody knew the car. Yeah. Everybody knew it. Yeah. So buddy of mine had done some work on the car and everything, and I decided to take it to work. Well, I only lived a mile from, the, from a house. Mile, 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 mile and a half or whatever. And so I was coming home one evening and it was between five and seven o'clock in the evening. It was, it was during summertime, you know, still daylight. I'm sitting at a, at a stop sign and I'm like, let's see, we just dropped the new clutch in. All right, let's go. And I hit it and I am, and I'm on a residential street. Oh no. I'm I'm clocking 110. <gasps> now mind you, from the stop sign to my house, there's no other stop sign. It's a long, long drive. <laughs> one. I passed the cop that I did not see. You didn't see all. him because he was a blur. <laughs> I was a blur. Matter of fact, and I'm gonna kind of jump around this story. He called headquarters <laughs> can i shoot him <laughs> and he's like he goes he goes i'm after he goes i don't know what i'm after he goes i'm telling you this guy just flew by me like like oh my god it's just crazy and and the funny thing is is i had gone to uh my best friend's mother's funeral about four or five weeks ago and the cop that got the call at headquarters was there. <laughs> oh. This is like, this is like, uh, this is over 23 years ago this happened. And he remembered it. He goes, he goes, hey, Bond. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't see the cop until I pulled into my driveway. And I was married at, at the time. I was, I was married, uh, to my 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 son's mother at the time, she looks out the kitchen window and she's like, "Oh shit!" I pull in the garage. He pulls in behind me, and I get out of the car and I'm just got got his grin ear to ear, and he walks up and he's like, "Wow!" Because <laughs> he, he goes, "Do you know how fast you were doing?" And I go, "Yeah, like about four thousand RPM." 
And then all of a sudden, he's not smiling anymore. Oh, and no. I go, no, 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 no. I go, no, no, you got to come in. The tax in the middle of the dash. <laughs> so I show him and he's like, he goes, what year is this? I go, 69. He goes, damn, this is fast for an old car. <laughs> <laughs> it took him 45 minutes to, to write the ticket. <laughs> and he wrote the ticket as we're standing outside by his patrol car. And I'm just like, you know, joke, joking around, smile, all that. And he goes, man, he goes, you're in a real good mood. And I go, well, I said, why not? I said, you're here to write a ticket. I'm not, you know, I'm not disputing anything what I did, you know, and I said, this is going to make a great story. (laughs) (laughs) A custom van rolls up into my driveway. Now, my driveway at that time could hold about 20 cars. Okay. This van drives up with an old couple behind the wheel. They were sitting on their front porch when I blew by. And he's cussing me out up down the front of the car. Uh huh. Going, yes, sir. I go, you're right. Yes, sir. You're right. You're right. And, and they finally, he, he gets, he gets enough of it and everything. He drives off and the cop looks at me and he goes, wow, you sure were cordial. And I go, why not? You're supposed to be kind to your elders. <laughs> 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 so, the ne- so the next day I, I call the, uh, the JP, the justice of the peace to, uh, take defensive driving. Well, he wrote down, he wrote down on the ticket that I only did 80. Oh. So, so I'm talking to the clerk and she goes, okay. I said, I just want to sign up for defensive driving and all that. I got a ticket yesterday. Oh, okay. Well, how fast are you doing? I go 80 and a 30. Oh my God. <laughs> you can't take defensive driving. I go, well, why not? She goes, that's way over the 24 hours, the 24 miles per hour yeah. allotted over the speed limit. I go, oh. Well, then how much is a ticket? She goes, oh, it's expensive. Oh, how much is it? She goes, it's $135. I go, I'll be right down there to pay you. That's you right. Oh, wow. That's right. <laughs> ASAP. Yeah. Uh, I'll be I'll be right there. Well, I'll be right there. <laughs> yes, Today, ma'am. that's jail time. <laughs> <laughs> You're not uh, wrong. <laughs> I, yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. Because Texas is 85 is jail time if they decide to take it that far. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yes. I know. I, <laughs> oh, oh no! Uh, uh, What's been, your story? Uh, no, we've been speaking with luxury watch. Oh, I forgot. Dad's dad's listening. Dad's listening. Shh. What story? Uh-huh. Uh huh. It, it ain't just one. We've been speaking with luxury watch expert and appraiser Donald Bond. Donald, take a minute and tell us where we can find you online and on social media. Well, you can find me on Facebook, of course, under Donald Bond. You can find me on Instagram under Donald W. Bond, I believe it is. Or you can find the other one under the Bond of Bourbon. Donald, thank you so much for being with us and for giving us such an education. We really Uh, Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Mark, for having me on the show tonight. That dude. Knows more about wow. watches than he anybody knows. I've he knows watches. And the way he was just spitting off the names and stuff, and I'm like, that's a Submariner? Wasn't that a character that was with the Amazing Spider-Man? 
<laughs> kind of goofy looking. But, uh, uh, I think you're thinking of Aquaman. Yeah, it's sure. Yeah, him too. <laughs> <laughs> At least I knew when he mentioned Jacques Cousteau. I'm like, I know that. <laughs> I've seen him on TV. I watched that show. There's a song by John Denver about his boat. Yeah. Yeah, I'm down with you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Super nice guy, though. He was cool. And man, that collection of bourbon behind him. You know, you can't see it because yeah, you know this is an audio no, no. podcast. But uh, and, damn. And the video version of the show is coming very soon. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It will. You'll, you'll see just how sexy we are yeah, while we're you, here. You'll be able to see just how inept we are <laughs> <laughs> in person. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at drivenradioshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and on LinkedIn as Driven Radio Show Podcast because I tried to get Driven Radio Show. And there's some other driven radio show out there, and it doesn't have crap to do about cars. Sons of guns. Isn't that weird? That's wrong. You can also listen anywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Mark L. Groves. Yo! Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Driven Radio. Mm-hmm.